Welcome to Money Conversations with KJ. KJ is a lifelong entrepreneur who's made a lot of money, lost a lot of money, and found his way back again. If you're looking for a sterile how-to, you're in the wrong place. KJ and his guests will walk you through real-life situations told by the people who live them, and they are as messy as they are inspiring. Each episode will offer lessons learned, advice on how to replicate successes and avoid pitfalls, and a new perspective to power your financial literacy. Far from a one-size-fits-all, this podcast can help you build a roadmap to your personal promised land. Milk and honey for some, whiskey and steak for others, and remind you that you're not alone on this journey. Well, hello, hello. Welcome back to the show. I'm super excited today to have my guest on because one, I just met her like a week ago. Her name is Bruna Muscal. And I think today's story is going to be interesting because of Bruna's, her, um, her path to where she is today. I, I think, I believe she's doing really awesome. I don't even know your exact age. I just know you're way younger than me, but uh, we're going to get into all that. So I think you guys are going to get real inspired, especially if you're in the younger demographic, 25 to 35 kind of area. Um, her story should be really inspirational. So, Bruno, welcome to the show. Great. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me, KJ. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. So like I said, I don't know a lot. I know this. I know you're from from originally Peru. But you moved to the States with your parents at age 10 to Florida. Right. Right. Yep. And so that's where from 10 till probably when you went to school and college and whatnot, that's pretty much where you were raised. Um, right until before college. Right. I was in Florida. Yep. Yep. Okay. And I know that you're an engineer. That's right. Awesome. So. That's all I know, really. So, guys, with you, okay. we're going to take we're going to be on this journey together. All, all the you listeners out there and and hearing Bruna's story. And I really I just I, I feel like it's going to be super inspiring. So let's start with, you know, I, we talk about money. That's what I love to talk about. I love to talk about money because people don't talk about money. Right. Because you either have it or you don't. And you're embarrassed either or. And that's usually why people don't talk about it. But I like to educate people to be able to put themselves in a financial position, no matter what age you might be through the learnings of other people. And I believe because we met um, because uh, I'm in the middle of a, of a flip and Bruna's in the middle of a flip and I actually was selling cabinets and she came out and bought them. And then we kind of connected because we're both kind of doing the same thing. I'm like, oh, wow, she's in, she's flipping, too. So really cool. Um, so based on that, Bruna, let's talk about. So you came to the States at 10 and I did, I think we talked about this one time, like, did your parents ever talk to you at any age about money? Right. Um, no, not at all. So, uh, I, the story is correct. So my, my, I'm originally from Peru and my mom comes to the States to Miami as a single mom with me and my little brother. I'm, I'm 10 years old. He's eight. And um, so as any, you know, first time immigrant, you know, she she knew the, the, the language, but, you know, it was it was pretty hard on her. Her accents way stronger than mine. And, you know, starting in a brand new place. Uh, so we were as blue collar as they came. I think back in Peru, we were pretty middle class. We, we were doing pretty well. But when we move here, we have to start from zero. OK, so my mom's first job is at McDonald's, quite literally. So she worked at McDonald's during the day. And at Wendy's at night, <laughs> I don't know if there's some sort of competition clause that she was breaking, but that's what she was doing. And we remain a blue collar family for the rest of my time until I maybe 18 or 19, 18 or 19 until I go to college. So she eventually meets my stepdad, who is this wonderful man from Argentina. He finishes raising me and my brother, but, um, you know, they open up a business and they open their business that they opened up. They wash cars for a living. So sometimes they painted houses, you know, clean fences, but really the, the bulk was cars, you know, and they would charge $20 for a car, $30 for a truck, but we lived hand to mouth. So if it rained five days in a week, in Florida, five yes. days in yeah. Florida, right. <laughs> in the summer, by the fifth day, you were eating just rice and soup, you know, um, because we hadn't made any money over the last day. There were no savings and absolutely no investments. You know, we just didn't have a dollar to spare. 
Interesting. I think the takeaway that I hear when you tell me that story and I've heard and I've interviewed people from all over and it's it's man, I don't want to say it's funny, but it's very common to me when I hear stories of people who migrate to America from anywhere in the Latin America, Mexico, Latin America, almost anywhere in the world. Right. They come here very hungry. When I mean hungry, like yeah. I come here, America's the land of opportunity. That's what the world understands yeah. and knows, right? So the Absolutely. fact that you're, yeah, the fact that your mom got her first job at McDonald's, nothing wrong with that. That's a massive corporation, right? Number one corporation on the planet. And then Wendy's at night. She did what she had to do to feed you guys, right? Right. She, right. There was no shame, and like I work at these two fast food places. I've got a family, and I've got to feed these kids, right? Hundred percent, nothing wrong with that. I, 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 I commend her for that. What I want to know is, so during those years at that age, what you were learning at that point in time, subconsciously, most likely, because most of us do at age 10, 8, 10, 12, is mom's a hard worker. Hard work is what it takes. Right. Right. And I'm right. sure that trait followed in you in order to be where you are today. Like if I want something, I need to go work. Because I think Absolutely. oftentimes, I think oftentimes in today, I mean, this is 2021. There's still a lot of great, hardworking people out there, but there's also a lot of people out there that are feeling a little entitled, let's say. Right. Like, oh, yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Like the government. <laughs> I, where's my check, Mr. Government or whoever yep, it might come from. Right. And so I think having the work ethic that you developed had to have come from your mom. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and I would like to add a little more detail to, to what you said. I think. We don't just have people that expect kind of like a handout, you know, I think we also have a lot of people that feel sorry for themselves. And to me, that was incredible, you know, growing up because, so I'm going to go back to the story. You know, when, I, when we came to the United States, we applied for a green card, I think maybe four or five months, as, literally as soon as we had the money, we applied for the green card. It took 14 years to come in the mail. Wow. So for 14 years, we were, you know, we were in this weird legal limbo, you know, where we were like, yeah, we're here, but we can't really get, I couldn't go to college. You know, when I was in that legal limbo, I couldn't go to college. I couldn't get a job. I couldn't get a driver's license, et cetera, et cetera. So we were so lost. And yet my mom always made us feel so lucky. And always made us strive so forward. So when I was a kid, my mom always said, like, as, as long as I had memory, she always said, you're going to go to Harvard. You're going to go to Harvard. You're going to go to Harvard. And there was nothing else. Now, when I went to high school, I didn't go to Harvard, but that's because I fell in love with math and science instead. So I went to MIT. And of course, MIT is the Harvard equivalent yes. of engineering. But... I think this was all thanks to my mother, you know, and, and we would see in, you know, in the media and TV back in Miami, I think there is a cultural push to try to make people feel sorry for themselves. I don't know who's behind it. I don't know who's doing it, but I think, I think it's almost a disease. I think it's a disease of so many people just sitting down and feeling sorry for themselves and be like oh god i'm an immigrant i'm just gonna be poor or oh god i have an accent i guess you know i was born into you know this is the deck of cards that i got you know and so on and so forth and um and my mom never allowed any of that in the house ever I think that what's inspiring me about that story is I truly believe that we can manifest what we want in life. And I think your mother manifested, even though she used Harvard as the school and you, you went a different direction, but went to the equivalent of Harvard, MIT. Congratulations on that. Your mother willed it. She manifested it, right? Because she oh, yeah. said it to you so many times. I'm a huge believer. We can do that on any and every level in our lives. If you want to manifest Absolutely. anything, right, just keeps telling yourself, I'm going to do that. It will happen. And it will happen. Um, I think I, I, I do my gratitudes every morning. I ask the universe for what I want and it comes. And I think your mother, that's what she did. She just 
I'm sure she prayed and asked the universe, this is what I want my daughter to do. And and it happened. Uh, now, yeah. granted, I'm sure it happened with a lot of hard work for you to get there, doing really good in school, being self-disciplined about your schoolwork and, you know, and getting there. So, wow, that's that's really awesome. I hope that's really inspiring to a lot of you guys out there listening that just as you explained, it's not the cards that are dealt to you. Right. We right. all can take control of our own lives and our destinies. But we have to be able to, one, have put in the work because you put in the work. Right. Now, let's talk about again, we're talking about money here. You came here at 10. You watch your mom work, you know, at, at McDonald's and Wendy's and what she had to do with money. So do you handle your money because of you were emulating what your mom did? Was your mom a saver? Was your mom a spender? How was your mom with money? And watching your mom, is that what is that how and why you do what you do with your money? Sure. Um, I did a complete opposite. Oh, <laughs> with okay. money that my mom does. Okay. The complete and total opposite. Um, my, my parents, you know, they had very few dollars to spare. And because they have so few dollars to spare, they kind of just lived in the moment. You know, they were like, okay, we have $20 this week left, so let's just spend it. You know, let's just go and buy, you know, a cake, you know, or let's just go into the beach. So there, there truly was no savings account. There really wasn't. And of course, nothing, nothing like a retirement, like a retirement account uh, or investments or anything like that. So actually, I grew up, me and my brother both, from a very early age, knowing that whatever I had to do in this life, whatever it was, I had to make a lot of money, like a job, any job that you could give me, name it, right? Accountant or engineer or scientist, whatever it is, no job could pay me enough to make up for the fact that my parents didn't have a retirement for, because I wanted to live the good life too. I didn't just want to struggle, right? I didn't plan to, you know, go to school and have a good job, good paying job, quote unquote, and then give back to my parents, but then I'm stuck right? Cause my money split three ways. And what about, what about me? What about my own family? What about if I want to have my kids, et cetera, et cetera. So I knew from a very early age, okay, whatever it is, it needs to be a lot and a job is not going to be enough. So I actually picked up my very first investing book at age 11. Wow. And I picked it up at age 11. I even remember where we would go to the Goodwill, which is where we would go uh, buy clothes for the family. You know, like we never bought anything new because we were poor. So you go to Goodwill. And I love the book section because I really love to read. And they were real cheap. They're like 10 cents. Each book was 10 cents. And this book caught my eye. And I, I forget what it was called, but it was a super boring kind of textbook. But it says something like the ultimate guide to investing, you know, portfolio stock investing, something like that. Right. Now, clearly I was 11 and in a blue collar family, I didn't have a dollar to invest myself, but I did start reading that book. And that kind of just opened my mind to the potential possibilities of what are the things that I could do with my money when I start making money? You know, it makes me think. So even though you were young, right? And I'm, and I love to hear stories when people tell me they actually were thinking about money at this age. I think we should talk about money to our children anyway at age five, right? And you started yeah. for some, for probably circumstantial reasons why you told yourself, right, I want to make a lot of money in my life in the future. Somewhere you heard about investing, you bought a 10 cent book. Imagine that for 10 cents. And to me, I'm thinking that was a fork in the road in your life. Imagine if you didn't yeah. ever buy that book. Right. And because our <laughs> right. lives, our lives are like big trees, right? The branches go in every direction. And that was a fork in your life um, that really helps set your mindset around money so early in life. Wow. Kudos to you for that one. And yeah. it's God watching over you or whatever, you know, you want to call it that you were, you made that decision. Do you feel if looking back now, that was a pivotal moment for you? I think it got me started. So I remember I bought that book. I was 11. It just opened my mind to, Hey, what is this thing? What is the stock market that people talk about in the news? You know, like, what is it? I, I don't know what it is. What is stocks? What bond? What is bonds? So it opened my mind to that. Still didn't have any money. I didn't 
age 14, so now I'm a freshman in high school, or maybe 15, around there, 14 or 15, I pick up another book. And this book is called The Teenage Investor. And it's a, it's a book that it's become very famous since then. But that book serves to solidify my interest of, hey, there's this thing going on called the stock market. And you put money and there's compound interest and you'll make money in your money and your dollars have to be employed and so on and so forth. I still didn't have any money, but now I was becoming even more aware and more excited about the possibilities for for the future. Um, it takes a long time till I start actually investing. I think when I actually started investing, I was in college. Was when I started investing, when I started working for myself. Um, but, the, you know, the stock market thing doesn't end. You know, I continue, this continues through high school. And I actually think that, you know, I read a couple other books. I get really excited. I find this university that has a trading program. And this is how it chose my career. Of course, I would switch many times over, but I didn't know it at the time. This is how I chose my career because we were, because I was so thirsty for a good life. Right. I went to monster.com, which I think is still around. At the time, they had a salary wizard tool. And then I put rank high to low. And number one said investment banker, New York. And I said, that's it. <laughs> that's what you're going for. <laughs> so I don't know if that's what I would recommend kids nowadays or not. But I can tell you that that was my path. Now, like I said, I changed many times over. But that's how focused I was on this idea of I have to move forward. And money is a very important tool to do so. Oh, I love what you just said. Money is a very important tool, right? Because I try to stress that to people that money is just a tool, guys. It's just a tool. And all money really does at the end of the day is gives us gives us options, right? And you just ask yourself, how many options do I want in my life, right? And the more money yeah. you have, the more the more and larger options that you can have. But the fact that your mindset around money developed so early and your thirst for it. And it doesn't sound like you had the thirst for money, like in a greedy, like I want mansions, I want hundred thousand dollar cars. Right. <laughs> it doesn't sound like it's that it was more for lifestyle, not just for you, but I know you talked to me before about you taking care of mom and dad. Right. Yeah. So you had yeah, to make enough absolutely. money, like you said, not for one, you had to make enough money for three. Right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So as I teach in my program, we I mean, we talk, I talk, I try to talk about as much as I can about tradition and you come in from Peru and I don't know anything about the Peru culture and whatnot. I know that when we talked a minute about it, that, you know, it seems that it's almost taboo to talk about money. Like people are afraid to talk about it. How much have you talked about money with whoever? Um, I think you said something at the beginning of this conversation that was right on point. I think talking about money, you either people feel like you either have it or you don't. And it's embarrassing either way. Um, and I, and I've seen that a lot. Um, I, you know, recently moved to Las Vegas for, from San Francisco and Silicon Valley San Francisco and Silicon Valley are extremely wealthy cities in the country. But, you know, you go out the street and you see tremendous amount of poverty and then you see everything in between. A lot of people are struggling and and nobody says anything. Nobody says anything. So somebody could be making 30000 a year and somebody could be making 300000 a year and neither of them knows. And they and they don't share that because, you know, they're embarrassed or whatever. They're, they're afraid that it will change the dynamic. But... But I wonder if maybe there is a missed opportunity here to share some knowledge, you know, for some knowledge exchange. It's like, hey, I know what to do with money. You don't. Let me if help we you. talk about it. Yeah, let me help maybe you. Maybe we can make something happen. I think it is the responsibility of everybody. And I, I, I use the little analogy of so let's say on a scale of one to ten, one, I don't know anything. I don't make very much money. Ten, I'm doing fantastic. I make lots of money. Right. A one could learn a lot from a three. A three could learn a yeah. lot from a six and a six could yeah. learn a lot from a 10, right? It's not that the yep. 10 needs to talk to the one because he, that person's probably going to talk way over number one's ability to understand what they're saying. But I think if we all get into conversations, but I, another word, man, you're using these great keywords. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> when you use the word opportunity, right? Because I really believe I share this all the time. I believe 
all of us, everybody on the planet, opportunity comes to us on a regular basis. And I'm talking about every week. The difference is taking advantage of opportunity, recognizing when opportunity is in front of you, because it could be a small opportunity. It could be a large opportunity, but there's all different opportunities, right? Um, you, you took a few years to really decide which direction you were going to go, but you just knew that one, you're going to go to Harvard slash MIT. That was a lot of hard work, but to get where you are today, you must have recognized options during this journey so far and open the door to the options. And I just want people to understand out there, don't don't be in the pity pot. Don't feel that you had, like you mentioned, uh, the wrong deck of cards dealt to you, right? Like opportunity, but you have to be aware, you have to listen, and more importantly, you have to take advantage of it because yep. I really believe it happens all the time. Yep, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So you started reading books early, reading books. How old were you when you made your first investment and what was the first investment? How much money sure, did, you, did my, you invest? My my first investment, I opened my first stock trading account when I was in college. I must have been in my early 20s. So it must have been maybe, maybe 21. And I must have put... I'm trying to remember. I don't remember exact numbers. I think throughout my four years of college, I must have invested maybe four or five thousand dollars throughout all four years of college. Nice. But the time I graduated, it was ten or eleven thousand dollars. Okay. So it doubled in in the time that I was there. I I made looking back very risky decisions. <laughs> you live and you learn. I picked. I had five different stocks. And the way that I picked them was fundamental analysis, right? It, was, it wasn't any technical, read the chart. It was a lot more of, um, do you know what this company does? Do you know them? Do you know, why do they make money? Why, and has there been some sort of pivotal change lately that makes you believe that they're going to make more money in the future? So one of the companies I remember now, my very first stock was Spirit Airlines. Oh. And Spirit, Air, have you ever flown Spirit? I have and I won't again, but yes. It's awful. (laughs) It is an absolutely terrible experience. (laughs) But at the time in college, I was flying spirit all the time. And the reason why is because I ended up going to college in Boston. My home is in Miami and they had something like $60 flights. Yes. You know, I'm still, you know, barely getting by in a way because, you know, I make a little money during the summers, but it's not enough. So I try to save money. So I fly spirit all the time. And their headquarters, lower headquarters, were in my hometown, my my tiny hometown of Miramar, Florida. So global headquarters are still there, spirit headquarters there. And my home airport is Fort Lauderdale Airport. So I would go to the airport and there would be like 10 different ticket booths, you know, American and JetBlue and Southwest. And they were all empty. And spirit was beyond crowded, like concert level crowded every single time. Now I hated spirit service, but every time I, I went to the airport, I saw that and I was like, okay, I think there's something going on here. And then I remember I read an article in the wall street journal. Um, and it was on the front, the front cover, the front page. And it was an interview with the CEO of spirit airlines. And he was talking about his plans for the airlines and what had happened in the last year and what he saw going forward how they were going to acquire X number more planes and being more airports. And I read that article and I was like, I have to buy this. I have to buy this. At the time, Spirit Airlines stock was $11. Now I go and I try to open a brokerage account. This is silly, but because I wasn't yet a citizen, I wasn't yet a green card holder. It took a lot longer than I would have wanted to open that brokerage account because they needed like a birth certificate or a passport, you know, a, a ridiculous number of documents that I had to call back home and be like, mom, can you get me this? And she scanned it and it just took too long. By the time I buy Spirit Airlines, maybe three or four months later, the stock is no longer $11. It is 44. Oh, you missed out. So I missed out on a 4X growth. That's okay. Cause I bought it at 44 anyway. And I think it went up to like maybe 98. So I doubled my money anyway, you know, in about a year. And then I sold a year later, but it could have been a lot more. <laughs> I could, it could have made a lot more, a lot more money. And that taught me a lesson and the value of time when it comes to money. 
it's a huge lesson. Time is a huge lesson on many factors. One of the things that I teach in my program is the rule of 72 compounding, right? Compound interest and how it works. And I, and when people can truly understand it, which is based on time, right? The value of time, um, you will definitely start treating your money differently. What I heard when you told me that story right now, and I hope you guys were listening, but I'm going to break it down for you because I think a lot of people, they were, they were hearing you, but they weren't listening, which is this. <laughs> you did a lot of homework before you bought a stock. Okay. And this is what Warren Buffett teaches, right? Like Warren Buffett will do homework for a year before he decides to buy anything in the market, right? He does so much homework. It's crazy. But that's what you have to do, right? Don't treat the stock market like we live in Vegas, right? If you want to gamble, go down the street, right? Or come to Vegas. <laughs> if you want to gamble, go there. And people who don't do the homework with the and you want to invest money in the stock market, if, then you're gambling, plain and simple. Because if you don't really research the companies you're getting ready to invest with, you don't know anything, you're gambling. You might as well go put it on red on the roulette table, right? And then black hits and you lose, right? So I love the fact that you did that. So for you guys out there listening, you want to get in the stock market, by all means, listen, the, the wealthiest people on this planet are making money one, one and or both ways, which is the stock market and real estate, right? So that you kind of kind of pick which one you want. And a lot of people do both, right? And But just get yourself proficient in either one. Don't dabble without educating yourself. I'm sure that you've educated yourself at some level because I know you're real estate investing now to do that because these are this is where the big boys are playing. These are big dollars and you could get hurt really, really easily out there. So yep. that's kind of the, the quick, small advice. I'm not your financial advisor. I'm just letting you know, do your homework. Do your homework for sure. And obviously for you to go through the education you did, you do homework. You know how. <laughs> You know how. There's nothing I can do. It's homework. <laughs> right. And you know how. So that was the beginning of your investing career, which was in the stock yeah. market. When did you decide, you know what? Okay, I'm in the market, but uh, let me go to real estate now. When did you decide to do that? So real estate has been a dream for as long as I can remember. Me and my little brother, who's two years younger, and maybe, I don't know when it started, you know, but it definitely started in childhood. It started that early on. And I think one of the reasons, one of the, one of the big drivers was in Miami. Miami is such a gorgeous city. Have you, have you been? I'm yes. sure you have. Yes. It's, it's just beautiful. You can buy a, the millionaire mansion boat tour and it's a tourist attraction, you know, and it's relatively cheap, maybe $20. And you go on a Saturday, Sunday night, you have nothing else to do. And you will get on a boat in a canal and they will drive you through all of these gorgeous houses and they will tell you who owns them. So they'll be like, oh, that's Rick and Martin's house. That's Rihanna's house, etc., <laughs> right. etc." Et so I always looked at houses and properties and I had this incredible thirst that that's going to be mine someday. That's going to be mine. You know, like, <laughs> and I would look at people, you know, like coming out of these beautiful houses, you know, with towers that would look like castles. And I would just be there driving and I'll see them, you know, maybe the owners come out and play in the front yard or whatever. And in my head, I would always say, you know, that's your house right now. But one day that's going to be mine. And, you know, I wasn't really telling that to them. It wasn't, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't me putting anybody down. It was just this thirst. I, I liked the fact that it was a physical asset. And it was a physical asset that you could touch, that you could see. It was also a physical asset that you could make beautiful, that you could live in, that you could have a quality of life inside of the physical asset. So it wasn't just money, like the stock market. I also like the physicality aspect of, of real estate of property. So it got started. I don't even know when, but we were children when the dream got started with my brother. Um, when I went to college, my brother eventually became a realtor himself, a real estate agent. And, and we began to have serious talks about it. You know, it's like, okay, when are we doing this? When are we doing this? You know, what is this going to look like? When, when is this going to happen? Um, and I think that's when it started. That must have been what, maybe five, six, seven years ago. And only now I had a couple of de derailings along the way. A lot of times life is not linear. Life can be, you know, a scramble, but what's important is the general trend. Um, I was working in Silicon Valley. I left to start my own startup because there was a lot of money there. I failed like many startups do. 
So I came back around, got a job, and I said, okay, let's get serious about a real estate thing. Nice, nice. So let's so and again, you failure. This is fine. You tried, you started up. And I talk about that too, right? Um, it doesn't sound like you beat yourself up real bad about, you know, taking a, taking your chance and starting your own deal. And then it didn't quite work out this time. You may do it again. Um, and there is nothing wrong. I don't, when people talk and you didn't do this, which is awesome that when they would fail at something and then they get, I don't know, in the pity pot, so to speak, like you learned whatever you did and you failed that you learned. So the next time you do it, you most likely will not fail. You'll do well at it because you would have learned right through the things that you did. Right. So guys failing. And I say it as much as like failing is actually a good thing as long as you're learning. Right. Absolutely. And we all, we're, nobody's just going to go straight up in life. We're going to have our ups and downs and ups and downs. And so it's just a matter, just don't give up and learn from whatever the failure was. And this is any level of failure. It doesn't even matter what it is. Just learn from it, get a takeaway from it. Okay. I won't, that won't happen again. I'm learning, which is really cool. Um, let's, let's, let's transition into, cause you're still young. When did you start thinking about some type of of retirement. When did retirement in your mind, you said, I've got to think about my future, you know, in the latter years, when did you start? Or do you think about that? Uh, I do think about it. It started embarrassingly late, embarrassingly late. It started when I turned 30, which was last year. And the reason why, and this is one of the pitfalls, you know, like, Hey, I went through this pitfall. So maybe if I say it, maybe it'll help, you know, one of your listeners. You know, I thought that because, you know, when I graduated college, I got a pretty, pretty good job, very good career track, you know, over in Silicon Valley. I thought, hey, if you're making, you know, six digits out of school, you're good. You're good to go. You're so young. You're so young. You're making so much money. You're fine. No, you're not fine. It's not about the money you make. It's about the money you keep and about the money that you keep that you invest. I think my first year out of college, you know, I was making, I was making slightly over six digits. And when I quit my job to do my startup, I think I have $5,000 in the bank. Mm. And that was a moment of reckoning where I looked back and I was like, where the hell did all my money go? Where is it? I don't know where it went. So I went back to look at my bank account. It went nowhere. It went absolutely nowhere. You know, it went in lunches. It went in dinners. It went in no assets that you could go and be like, oh, at least you could sell this. No, no, no. It didn't go anywhere. So... That was held what it was like. Because I, I graduated college at 25. I went traveling for a couple of years. And then I started working at 27. By the time I quit my job and I do my startup and I fail, I'm 30. Like on the dot, 30. And as soon as I turned 30 and I got a new job, I was like, let's get really serious. Really serious about this retirement thing. And I'm happy to report that I have gotten very serious about it over the last year. And in just one year, you know, the, the progress that I've made from August of last year to August of this year, it's night and day. And hopefully with you know, with good good luck and good effort, hopefully next year will be even better. You know, I've this is a story I hear over and over. It seems, and I don't know why, and this is why my mission, my, I'm so passionate about talking about money and I love to talk about money to the, as young as I can find them, the people, right? Because I keep hearing the same story. Your story is no different than most 30 year olds. Meaning you go through, you go to school, you go through your twenties, which is 10 years and you understand compounding. Mm -hmm. You understand the rule of 72 because you're a mathematician. Those 10 years are so valuable when you're 50 plus yeah. years old had you had money working and compounding the value of those 10 years is immense but nobody wants to listen at 18 19 20 22 no because we feel people feel like i got plenty of time why do i gotta yeah. worry about that i'm only 22 or whatever it is in the 20s right and then i hear people just like you just described it at 30, all right, all right, let's get serious about money. Not understanding and realizing those 10 years literally could could cost you by the end, by the, when I say the end, 55 to 65 range in that window there, those 10 years could have cost you literally hundreds of thousands of dollars. Absolutely. Hundreds Absolutely. of thousands. And so I try to share this with the, you know, 
a lot younger demographic, like, no, it's hundreds of thousands difference. Don't, I want you to enjoy life. I want you to do the things, but I want you to be pay yourself first, right? Number one, there's nobody more important than you pay yourself first and paying yourself first is investing in your retirement and start with simple accounts. You can just start with a Roth IRA, you know, go to work and you got a 401k with your employer, something get money compounding as soon as you can. I mean, nothing makes more money than money over time. You're not going to trade time for money and become a wealthy person. It's not going to happen. You must invest and let money compound. So, I'm glad that you recognize that, but it took you again. You're in the normal, you know, statistically <laughs> you're right. With nor- between the ages, I find 30 to 33 people are kind of waking up to, I got to start taking money serious. I can't just squander yeah. money and, and have a good time every weekend kind of thing. You know what I mean? Right. Which comes back to one of my trainings in my, in my course is the difference between wants and needs. Once you truly understand the difference between wants and needs, and stop spending more money on wants than you do the needs, and then you'll be financially in a better position. Um, interesting. So now you're excited that you put yourself on yeah. track, right? Let's share if you don't Absolutely. mind. If you don't mind sharing with with the listeners out there that may be you know plus or minus five years of your age, what are you doing? What are you putting in play, so to speak, mm-hmm. that you believe 25, 30 years from now you will have some sort of a nest egg. Yeah, so I'm doing quite a few things. Um, so the first thing that I that I would recommend people, please max out your IRA and your Roth, uh, Roth IRA and your 401k. So IRA and 401k, max them out, both of them every year, religiously, don't touch that money. Let it sit there. You know, if you just do that, I think I did the, I did this internet calculator, very simple. If you start today at age 30, you know, if you start at age 30, so you're already kind of behind by 10 years, but it's okay. You start at age 30 and you max out your 401k every year, $25,000. It's just $25,000. If you make, you know, 70,000, you can, you can save 25,000 into your 401k. By 65, I think you have something like $3 million. Yes. So just do it. Just do it. <laughs> this is so worth your, this is so worth it, you know, to just learn to live on less, you know? So one of the things that I'm doing is, you know, I decided to max out, okay, let's max out the IRA, let's max out the 401k. I max both of those out. On top of that, I have another brokerage that's very well funded as well. And on top of that, of course, the way that we met is because I just bought my first investment property and I bought a fourplex here in Las Vegas. I moved to do so. So that's so that's another kind of a talk about focus. You know, I was living in San Francisco. There was no way that I was buying real estate in San Francisco. Not right now. Not right now. In order for me to buy real estate in San Francisco, I had to leave San Francisco for five or 10 years. And maybe one day come back. But I knew, I just did the math. I was like, is it worth paying $2,000, $3,000 in rent to be in San Francisco? Do you love the beach that much? You know, or you can move somewhere else and buy a tremendous property for the same amount of money. So I chose, hey, I'm, I love the beach. That is true, but it is worth it. It is an investment of my future that will pay off very quickly. This one's not like the 401k. This one's not going to pay off when I'm 65. This one's going to pay off in six months. Yes. So (laughs) it was just a no brainer. I had no friends here. I didn't know anybody in Las Vegas. Vegas is very hot. So there was definitely this aspects of, okay, you're leaving like your little like bubble, you know, you're leaving your friends, you're leaving everything you've known for the past five years. Do you really want to do this? I can tell you, KJ, when I got the keys to my fourplex, I think it was like maybe what, 112 degrees outside. I got the keys to the fourplex and I called my brother and I said, you have no idea how much all of this was worth it. Yes. All of it. All of it. I, I Because really, now I have an asset. Yeah. You have, a, you have an appreciating asset, right? So you have an asset, but there's yeah. assets, but not all assets are appreciating assets like automobiles, right? That's an asset, but it's a depreciating asset. So yeah. you have an appreciating asset, which is awesome, which is a fourplex. And I've been investing, I don't know, about a dozen or 15 years or so. And 
A fourplex is great. Now you're living in one of the units, right? I am. So she's going to rent out the other three units that will basically afford Bruna to live free because the other three units should rent out where you're living free, which will allow you to do as you described, fully fund your retirement accounts, save more money for the next investment while all the while... Right. Because you bought those cabinets. So you're what you're doing is you're um, appreciating that asset by making it nicer so you could raise rents. You're playing the game. Exactly. You're playing the game. Exactly. (laughs) Correct. Right now. Own that as long as you can. You'll decide when it's time to flip the whole thing or sell one or whatever it may be and move on and just scale up. Right. Because you got plenty of time Uh, like a. My youngest daughter, I, I taught her that. She bought her first condo at 19. And I said, this is just oh, wow. this is just one. And you're going to stair step over the next 20 years. You're going to turn that $150,000 condo into a $350,000 house, to a $700,000, to a million. Every three or four years, you're going to stair step up because appreciation is going to allow you to do that. Your money and real estate are working for you. You are not working for them. Right. And I think the sooner people get the concept of let your money work for you instead of you working for money. But unfortunately, school and society teaches everybody to go get a J.O.B. Yep. You got highly trained at a very prestigious college, MIT. It takes very smart people and great grades to go to that school. And how much do you believe now with that education, which I'm sure was not a cheap, you know, education and you're probably paying on that still and however long you think it'll take you to get it paid for. Talk to me about because I'm on the fence in today's world. Mm-hmm. Now, you became an engineer and I said, OK, yeah, that's I tell people if you're going to go invest hundred, two hundred, three hundred thousand bucks in your education, unless you're going to be the engineer, the doctor, the lawyer, the people that can make multiple six figures a year. All these other jobs that don't make six figures and you're spending 150 grand for the education, in my mind, it's not worth it. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I have to completely agree with you. So so I got extraordinarily lucky. And and I guess this is an important point to make. So I got a full ride. I got a full scholarship to college. How? How did you do that? If I hadn't, if I hadn't. My first year at college, because we got the bill. It's just that somebody else paid it. But we got the bill anyway. My very first year in college, the bill was $56,000. By the time I graduated four years later, it had gone up to $62,000. I don't know how much it is now, but it would have been a bill of a little over $200,000. This is a very personal decision, you know, for people, you know, kids, kids have dreams, you know, you really want to go to the school, et cetera, et cetera. And it's tough, you know, to tell, you know, can I tell a 17 year old who's like really dreaming about X school for whatever reason, you know, don't go, you know, that said, don't go into that type of debt. Don't, don't by any means, don't. I would say if you have the choice, if you, if you want to go to college, which by the way, you also don't have to, but if you're going to go to college and it's costing you something like 40,000 to go to the state school or, you know, two grand to go to the community college, go to the community college for a couple of years, do that. I think in life I found out, and don't get me wrong, the MIT title has helped me tremendously and continues to help me. And the biggest way that it helps me is in the fat W2, to be completely transparent. That's the biggest way that it helps me in giving me a big enough salary that I can, that I can be comfortable saying, let me invest 80% of it because I can live on the other 20, you know, something like that. But, um, so, so it has definitely helped that said, I think from what I've seen, what really makes people succeed in life is not the title of your degree or the name next to the institution at all. Like I said, you don't even have to go to college. It's drive, drive, and a little bit of cunning. You have to be cunning you have to be a bit like a fox. You have to be looking out for yourself. I see a lot of young people nowadays get mega distracted by, again, it's tough to talk to a kid that's 16, 17, you know, they're somewhere else, but, you know, by getting, trying to solve the world's problems, you know, recycling as an issue, climate change, environmentalism, human rights, you know, and on and on and on, you know, people are starving in Yemen, you know, there's refugees in, you know, 
Turkey, whatever it is. You can't. You can't. The reality is you cannot save, solve the world's problems. You can't do that. But you can solve your own. Yes. You can solve your own problems if you focus. So I think in my experience, the people that are most successful is you have to be cunning. You have to be focused on yourself, yourself, and feeding yourself and your family. You have to be looking out for opportunities. And now with the internet, you know, you can get an you can get an education in YouTube. You can. I'm not gonna argue that it's it's gonna replace real life experience because nothing replaced real life experience. And I'm not gonna argue that it's gonna replace a degree because it probably doesn't. But you can get something out of YouTube. You can get something out of blogs. You can get enough to get started. I agree. I agree. That was a great perspective from you on the path and the journey that you've been on so far at your age to recognize that and share it. And I hope whether you're 20, 30 or 50 with kids that are getting ready to go, that you really listen to what Bruna just shared with you. I think that was very inspiring for people. It could be hopefully eye opening. And man, if we inspired one person, to make a decision based on this conversation, then this conversation was worth every minute that we're spending on it. If we just did it for one person. Right. And this is yep. my, this is why I love my podcast. I love talking to people in your only, most of the people I talk to, I kind of basically know I'm trying to get more in again, we only just met once or twice and to hear this perspective that I knew at the beginning that this was going to be a very enlightening story. And you just really laid it out there for people. And I haven't heard it put that way that you need to be cunning. Right. And I want to make sure that people understand what you mean. I know what you mean. Right. <laughs> But I don't know that everybody else does. Again, I've got people listening in Latin America, Australia, over in the UK and in um, China. I got them everywhere. Explain to the audience what you mean by being cunning. Sure. I mean, you need to be opportunistic. Mm. I think it's going to be very rare, if ever, the day that somebody knocks literally in your door. Like you actually get a door knock in your house and say, Hey, we like to invest with me in X, Y, or Z. It, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Opportunities come. They present themselves to the people that are looking for them. And I would say it's, you know, it's, it's a silly analogy, but it's like if you're hiking out in the forest, right. And there's all these blueberries in the ground. If you're not hiking in the forest in the first place, you're never going to see the blueberries. The blueberries are there for everyone. They're there for everyone to be picked. But if you're not there with your head down looking for them, you're just not going to find them. And that's what I mean when, when I say you have to be cunning. You know, let's say that a listener right now, someone is listening somewhere and they're like, man, but, you know, I can barely make my rent. You know, I can't imagine. I, I'm not able to save any money, you know, for a, for a house. I only have, you know, I can barely save $5,000 in six months. You know, maybe I can save a thousand a month with a lot of effort, et cetera, et cetera, you know. Someone like that, I, I would tell them, you know, from my experience, can you move? Point blank, can you move? If you can move, if you can save those $5,000 in the next six months and you can move, go online, find down payment assistance programs. Can you move to Wyoming? Can we move to Kentucky? I'm not saying forever. There's no forever here. Can you move? If you move to the state of Washington, will the state of Washington give maybe match your $5,000? You know, all of these opportunities are there, but you have to be cunning to find them, to, to find the little loopholes where you, your, your particular situation fits. Like I can take, I can take advantage of this and this one and this one and that one. Maybe the person next door can't. The person's next door's fate is not your problem. Your problem, your problem is just you. Can your story make it into all of these little loopholes and, and that's what I mean. You have to be opportunistic. You have to watch out for yourself. One last question. That was really awesome. So I hope a lot of you guys are really listening to that. We're having this amazing conversation. And I think there's so many takeaways. And I've got to remember all of them. But my last question before we wrap up is, how many times have you had this type of conversation with anybody? 
I think very few. I think the only person that I talk to about money is my brother. My brother's my best friend. And we've been ideating this big real estate plan since we were kids, right? So he is the only person that I share all the all these things with. When he finds an opportunity, he tells me. When I find an opportunity, I tell him. But I think that's it. You know, it is a blood connection. It's as close as you can get the person that I grew up with. And I think that's the only person that I have this type of conversation with. So I think this is the big disconnect in society. And this is, again, back to my passion about talking about money. If we can all start sharing, none of anything that you share today is very, I don't know, you tell me if is it too personal? Like you can't, I don't want you to know my story that way. Right. I mean, you just said it on a podcast. Yeah. And I'm not saying I have a million listeners, but over time, I mean, it's going to stay out there and people, again, I just want people to be inspired. So for all you guys out there, whatever your stories are, if, if we take responsibility for sharing our wins, right? My intro says, Hey, we're going to hear the good and the bad and let's get inspired. I hope all of you guys were inspired today. Wow. Man, I'm just flabbergasted right now, Bruno. Thank you very much for coming out. It's an awesome yeah. story. Um, I'm here. I'm in Vegas. You need some help with real estate, I'll help you. I'm licensed here. I can help you either way. Um, again, man, a lot of food for thought. But uh, thanks for coming out. I appreciate it. All you guys out there, remember, if you're watching me on YouTube, smash the like button, subscribe to my channel. If you're on the podcast, please follow me on the podcast. We get a a fresh new podcast every Wednesday morning, 7 a.m. They come out. So um, until next week, I'll talk to you guys then. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that episode. Uh, Really enjoyed making all these episodes for you. Remember, we're just having uh, conversations with people's journey with money and the things they did right with it, the things that did wrong with it, and uh, how, how did they really come about getting their mindset with money. So uh, every episode's different. We all have a good takeaway from them. So do me a favor, hit the like button, smash the like button, and subscribe to my channel because every episode that I do is going to be different as all our journeys are different. So you guys take care, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. <laughs>